Welcome to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am your host, Ari Hoffman. We are your early warning system for all things absolutely, completely crazy coming out of the socialist utopia of Seattle and Washington State. The eyes of the world have been on Seattle for this week and more. And what's interesting is everybody keeps saying, Ari, is this real? Is this really happening? I'm getting calls from everywhere, as I mentioned before. Is this actually happening? Is it true? Are there armed guards? To quote Han Solo in The Force Awakens, it's true. All of it. Yes, it's all true. It's all completely nuts. And I can't believe we're still talking about this. It's interesting that people keep pushing back on the armed guards and the videos that are coming out of the violence and everything else that's happening. I was on Fox News recently, actually, the just yesterday, and that happened again. Take a look. The city of Seattle reaching a deal with the autonomous zone CHOP to remove temporary roadblocks and replace them with those concrete barriers. The agreement also reducing the size of the zone from about seven blocks down to three. So how are businesses and homeowners in that area doing? Here with an update is former uh, Seattle City Council candidate Ari Hoffman and columnist for the Post Millennial. Good morning to you, Ari. Good morning. How are things across the border today? We're doing okay here. How are things there? What are the residents? What are the business owners that that um, have units in that chop area? What are they saying to you? A friend of mine told me yesterday who lives in the area, he says he never goes outside after eight o'clock at night without a firearm. That's a sad state of affairs of how he has to live his day-to-day -day life. Business owners are telling me that they're having trouble opening their businesses, and some of them, in fact, have closed their businesses. These are businesses that were rebounding or trying to rebound from the coronavirus after being closed for a large amount of time. And now they can't reopen because they can't get trucks in, they can't get cars in, they can't guarantee the safety of their employees. Trader Joe's near by said that they couldn't guarantee the safety of their employees and they closed indefinitely. An auto shop nearby was attacked by a group of protesters who knocked down the fence thinking that somebody from the shop was being imprisoned there after the facility had been broken into and somebody tried to light fire to it. They had to hire private security because the Seattle Police Department did not show up to about 18 calls according to the business for help. So Ari, uh, I know as far as businesses are concerned, because I live so far away, I was wondering how many businesses are in this area. 40 businesses, 18 apartment buildings and residents, two churches and that one police precinct. You are getting uh, some criticism for your comments because critics are saying, what do you know? You don't live in the Capitol Hill area of Seattle. What do you say to them? Well, I'd say to them is that they say that the area is open and free and whoever can want to go can come down there can go. And I've gone multiple times so they can say what they want. But I've walked down there. I've walked the streets. I've taken video. I've interviewed the people down there, including the warlord of Chaz, who was seen on video giving out AR-15s to anybody who wanted one in the area. So if they say it's such a free and open place and we can come and go as we please, I'm availing myself of that privilege. And I have gone down there and seen it for myself as anybody else can do right now, assuming the people who are guarding the entrances don't recognize you and don't have a problem with you and don't harass you and try to kick you out. I saw a video yesterday of a Fox News team being harassed and kicked out of the area. Uh, real quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, are you happy with this compromise? They split the road with the concrete barriers so that pedestrians can stay on one side and vehicles can stay on the other and that will help with 911 calls? 
I wouldn't really call it a compromise. I'd say more the city is giving in to the protesters. They want certain streets closed, and the mayor has been closing about 20 miles of streets all across the city because there's a perpetual war on cars. It seems like she's using this as an excuse to close more sections of the city, and she claims that one section is being closed because now it has street art on it. Okay. If I wanted to have my kids go outside and start coloring with crayons on the ground, does that mean I get to have my street closed right. too to protect it? Ari, thanks so much. We appreciate you being here. Okay, so some of you are upset that I got asked that question by Ainsley Earhart. Why are you upset that she asked a question where somebody is saying something opposite of what I'm saying? That's what a reporter is supposed to do. Perhaps we've all been so, I guess, used to a media that doesn't ask questions, we're shocked that one does. Somebody wrote a tiny little blog nothing talking about how, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't live in the Chaz zone. What's funny is it probably popped up under a Google search of my name before the interview. She did her interview prep and she said, this guy says this thing. Mind you, nobody read the article. It's complete nonsense because just because you don't live there doesn't mean you don't know what's going on. I don't live in Israel. I know what's going on. I go there all the time. I don't know what's going on in uh, eastern Washington. I follow the news. I check it out. I go there from time to time. I don't know what's going on in Mercer Island, but I drive there from time to time. I don't know what's going on down on Rainier Avenue. I don't live there. I live a few blocks away. Does that mean I don't know what's going on? No. And if Chaz chop whatever they call it is so open and welcoming go there check it out maybe you won't get harassed maybe you will get harassed but you can see it for yourself see if i'm making up make sure you stay through night though you may have a video that goes viral just like everybody else does but when you allow anarchists to take over the city anarchy reigns don't know why anybody's surprised by that this week i did a bunch of interviews with local business owners inside the chaz and the chop because there's this constant push by the media to try and say none of the violence is happening. It's all just peaceful protesters. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. It's a block party. It's a summer of love. It's a street festival. Eh, wrong. Not happening. So my interviews with local business owners and hired security companies by those business owners have revealed that conditions for businesses and residents in the Capitol Hill occupied protest, because we can't call it Chaz anymore. Now it's CHOP unbelievable, are not as peaceful as the mainstream media would have you believe. Militant anarchists are among the groups controlling the chop, and the occupation appears to have dismissed law and order for society in line with their anarchist vision. Antifa literally put out a tweet saying they need more guns and offering self-defense courses. How can you say this isn't militant? How can you say this isn't violent? With all the videos coming out there that I'm posting all the time, that other people are posting, how can you say it's not violent? How can you turn a blind eye to that? One business owner I spoke to called an invasion of a neighborhood by people who don't pay rent and are taking away the rights of the people who live and work there. Yeah, exactly. You can't drive down the street anymore. The owner went on to say that they enjoy protesting for a good cause. They protested a lot and believe it's a great way to express the First Amendment. However, a customer's car was broken into this week and business is down because customers don't want to come to the area. There's a lot of bad PR about the place. I don't want to go down there. My wife doesn't want me going down there. It's all anyone talks about as affecting the atmosphere in a negative way. Other stores are faring better through the occupation. If you sell beer, cigarettes, and tacos, you're doing okay. But even businesses that are doing better have more theft and vandalism. So net they are down. So this lie of, oh, we're helping out all these businesses. Yeah, you also graffitied their building. And you, people are still breaking and stealing. And you've attracted the homeless who are notorious for breaking in and stealing things. And we know that's been going on in Washington. Now, I've covered it many times on the show. And you can see by the stuff they have with them that not all of it is theirs. So, yeah, they're losing out on this, too. A business owner claimed that they were threatened. They were called racist if they did not post Black Lives Matter signs and threatened with having their windows broken. Interestingly, they were threatened by a white activist.
The Seattle Police Department confirmed and then walked back claims earlier this week that businesses in the CHOP were being extorted for protection money. A post circulated online by a business owner claiming to be from inside the CHOP being asked to pay $500 in protection money. Yet Seattle Police Chief claimed that rapes, murders, uh, sorry, rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area and were not able to get to them and that 911 response times have jumped from five minutes to 18 minutes. Sounds like a wonderful block party. I can't wait to take my kids. Sunday night, Richard Hanks allegedly broke into the car tender auto repair. He has since been arrested, located a block away from the chop, and attempted to set the building on fire. Though the owners detained him, they were forced to release him when SPD did not arrive to take custody. According to a police report, Mason McDermott, one of the owners, told 911 that dispatch could not, or was told by 911 that dispatch could not send in officers. Meanwhile, hundreds of CHOP occupiers arrived at the auto shop attempting to free Hanks. They knocked down the fence of the business. I showed this video in my last episode. Iconic Global, a local security company, offered their services to car tender following the incident. Monday, they discovered an AK-47, multiple magazines, fireworks, and materials for making explosives in the bushes surrounding the shop. Iconic also prevented two other break-in attempts at the location and other nearby businesses. I put pictures up on my site in an article I wrote for the Post-Millennial of the AK-47 and all the bomb-making equipment. Tell me that's a peaceful protest. Maybe they'll teach my children at the street fair. Maybe that'll be a booth at the street fair. Teaching my children how to make explosives. Isn't that nice? What a useful life skill. Another nearby owner had a sign offering a discount to police and firefighters. The owner claims that an occupier yelled at him until he took it down. It is no surprise that SPD is now walking back claims of extortion on businesses and asking for people to report incidents to 911, given that every witness interviewed for this piece wished to remain anonymous, fearing retaliation. Claims from residents and businesses about threats and attacks seem to vary based on which group in the CHOP they are in contact with. Groups inside the CHOP range from Black Lives Matter to Antifa militant groups like the John Brown Gun Club with no clear leadership structure. This appears to be the reason why different businesses and residents are having different experiences with the occupiers. One resident said it is just a block party but wants everything to go back to normal. Others spoke to King Five and said, I'm scared to live here. It's just not conducive. What you want from a home is a stress-free environment. You want to be able to sleep well. You want to be able to feel comfortable. And we just don't feel comfortable right now. I can imagine with all the screaming and gunshots and everything else that's going on at night and the rioting and stuff. With no clear leadership structure and multiple groups involved in running the chop, it is not clear who the city is negotiating with, which has led to conflicting agreements and ongoing safety concerns for neighborhood residents and businesses, all while local militant groups ask for more weapons, and nobody is doing anything to prosecute any of these criminals. So, for example... Protesters in the city of Seattle will not face charges and will instead be diverted to other treatment options. Seattle City Attorney Pete Holmes said in a statement issued Wednesday that, over my tenure as city attorney, I have tried to strive to balance community safety, social justice, and personal responsibility. Some have criticized my policies as being weak on crime. Others asserted that I am too tough. Side note, nobody says he's too tough. Anybody who says he's too tough is just pulling his leg because he's not. More often than not, one's perspective is defined by their level of privilege their level of privilege. So because somebody broke into my company and steals gas out of my trucks and I report it and I want them prosecuted, that makes me privileged? Whether to recommend substance abuse treatment as part of probationary services jail or referral to a diversion program like LEAD or LILO requires constant balancing. Constant balancing, yeah. 
You don't send anybody to jail. Persistent dehumanizing institutional racism is at the heart of the current unrest in Seattle and other American city streets and demands a response founded on restorative justice principles. This hasn't worked so far. Homes in the lead program were under fire for not prosecuting crimes long before violent rioting, looting, and protests rock Seattle. I've covered it many times. Here's what the lead program is. If you commit a crime, you can walk in and the lead program will say, you know what, if you send him to treatment as opposed to jail, we can get him back on the right track. The problem is they're doing this like 70, 80 times for the same guy, so they keep going out back on the street and they become this list of 100 prolific offenders or more that Seattle had talking about these guys are causing all the problems downtown. Absolutely unbelievable. Seattle and King County even have a track record of releasing violent Antifa activists. This one guy they released four or five times. He actually assaulted a bunch of Jews downtown. In 2019, business groups in Seattle commissioned the report on the 100 prolific offenders who were terrorizing downtown Seattle residents and businesses. The report blamed a revolving door justice system that a criminal could be arrested in Seattle over 70 times and still be released or diverted for treatment rather than incarceration. Sounds like this method is working out great. You know what happens if you let rioters and looters go? They're going to go right back to that group occupying Capitol Hill or wherever else they go and continue to riot and loot. That's exactly what happens. They're not going to stick with their <coughs> programs. It's been proven before they're not going to. You know what this is designed for? A kid who does something stupid. A first-time offender who does something stupid. Not career criminals. The DA's office has received 37 misdemeanor cases so far from the civil unrest in Seattle. Many are for obstructing police, but the list includes half a dozen assaults, theft, reckless endangerment, and attempted property damage, like burning down an auto body shop. Holmes said he hopes to refer these protesters to Choose 180, a restorative justice program with a proven track record. Would you like to know who Choose 180 is? Choose 180 is one of the groups currently occupying the Capitol Hill-occupied protest neighborhood and negotiating with the city for terms, including barriers to extend their own occupation. How do you think this is going to end when you are literally sending their foot soldiers back to the battlefield? Unbelievable. Another quote from Pete Holmes. Over the last week, my office has been talking with Sean Good, executive director of Choose 180, an incredibly successful nonprofit diversion program. Yeah, they're really good at getting people out of jail so they can go back to causing problems. I've, no, 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 done. Done, 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 done. They talk about redirecting young people ages 18 to 24 to a community-based and community-run workshop. It's a place where young adults are treated with respect and empathy and engage on a truly human level. If a young person is arrested and engages in the Choose 180 workshop, my office will not file a criminal charge. So they can attack police officers and you won't file a criminal charge. They can break into businesses, they can try to burn down businesses and you won't file a criminal charge. Are they just misunderstood youth? You know they're going to do it again. We should start tracking that. We should start tracking who's been arrested and diverted and then sent back to this and then does it again. This is now causing speculation that this is just an attempt by the DA to free offenders who will join the militant occupiers of CHOP or continue to offend in Seattle. Absolutely unbelievable. This guy here, he says more. This guy just doesn't know when to stop talking. Sean has graciously offered to accept any person we refer, regardless of age, who was arrested in recent protest events. After engaging with Sean's team to work through their experience, they'll be connected to an organization that will help them advance the cause that they were passionately protesting for. So burning down an auto shop, breaking into looting Bellevue Square Mall. After they engage, I will toss their criminal case referral in the figurative wastebasket. No criminal charge, no criminal record, no jail. No punishment, no carrot. No, sorry, no stick, lots of carrots. Unbelievable. 
Meanwhile, more video spreads across social media every single night showcasing assaults and property damage across Seattle, leaving many to wonder if these crimes will be prosecuted. Those who hope for King County to prosecute the cases will most likely be disappointed. King County District Attorney Dan Satterberg relies on the same revolving door justice policies and even brags about Washington's incarceration rate being among the 10 lowest in the United States. King County DA decisions on which crimes to prosecute for was always also a contributing factor in the prolific offenders report. Recently, a King County jail was converted to a homeless shelter due to the lack of inmates. They can't fill the jails. City officials seem not to only want the protests, riots, looting, and armed occupation of Seattle, but to continue to taking measures to ensure that it does continue. So, like, here's an example, something we discovered, and a lot of the media does not want to report on this. You know the warlord of Chaz that I interviewed in, excuse me, my last episode? He put out a tweet saying how happy he was that he was getting a city grant to build his rap studio. So we looked into this information. The City of Seattle Cultural Fund awarded $83,250 to Black Umbrella, that's his studio, for the construction of a recording studio on the second floor of a building housing Black Umbrella will expand their programming capacity to include vocal, instrumental, and sound engineering opportunities, increasing Black Umbrella's ability to fulfill its mission of fostering growth and development of artists, providing a resource community and driving force in creation of a supportive, inclusive, and nationally vindicated, nationally vindicated, not syndicated, hip-hop seen in Seattle. Vindicated. That's funny. It says vindicated. <laughs> this is a guy with a massive criminal record. And it says nationally vindicated hip-hop seen in Seattle. So are they helping out Antifa? What's going on? We're vindicating them for helping out Antifa? Additionally, Black Umbrella plans to host weekly drop-in studio hours free for educational use and discounted rates for people within the community. This is from Seattle's own website. Now they're vindicated. The link for Black Umbrella on the Seattle.gov website links to the website of rapper Roz Simone, the so-called warlord of the Capitol Hill-occupied protest, formerly Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. His website is currently streaming a graphic video depicting rape and revenge murder along with racial slurs. I will not link to it because it's not suitable for anybody. It's filth. Don't watch it. You want to find it, you can find it on your own. Video from inside the chop has shown Simone assaulting people and other occupants of the chop. So maybe he's just making his next rap video. Don't know. Which the city's paying for? Unbelievable. Simone does not seem to be hurting financially or in need of a grant. A video surfaced this week of Simone giving out AR-15s to anyone willing to stand a guard post in the chop from the trunk of his Tesla Roadster. Okay. The address of the studio... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. The address of the studio is actually right near my office, so can't wait to have this in my neighborhood. Fantastic. Roz has an extensive rap sheet with multiple priors begging the question why Seattle chose to fund such a person with taxpayer money. Here are the qualifications for the grant, in case you're wondering. Eligible organizations have at least a one-year operating history as a legally established organization, either not-for-profit or for-profit, represent a community of color. So white people aren't eligible for this? Okay, what about us Jews? We're not, you know, some people define us as people of color, some people don't. Be led by people of color, back to that again, or be committed to the pursuit of racial equity. Doesn't seem like racial equity when he's uh, any kind of equity for anybody when he's occupying a neighborhood of Seattle. And demonstrate a record of ongoing artistic or cultural accomplishments in Seattle. So is this accomplishment how many rapes you can show in one video? How many murders you can show in one video? How many racial slurs you can use in one video? Amazing. Applicants for capital funding must have control over the facility to which improvement must be made through ownership, blah, blah, blah. So he owns the building. 
For requests over 35000 at least 50% of the funding of the project must be in place before applying. Funded activity must take place between December 2020 and December 2022. So he's getting the money right now. Even though he's walking around with AK-40, AR-15s, giving them out to people when he has a massive rap sheet, probably not allowed to have those weapons. This is a guy your taxpayer money is going to. While Simone and armed militants have seized control of six blocks of Seattle, the rapper has been subsidized by funds from neighborhood residents and businesses he is currently occupying. I'm sure we're going to find a whole lot more of this. If you think this is unique to Seattle, it's not. Follow the money. You'll find out where it goes in your own city. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, there's some very fun interviews. One is with Jason Matera and a New York Times bestselling author. And with Ami Horowitz, a documentary filmmaker who went to check out the chop for himself. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined today by filmmaker and documentary rabble-rouser, which is why we get along, Ami Horowitz, who just came back from a, making a new film inside the Chaz, the Chop, whatever they're calling it this week. Ami, thanks for being with us, buddy. It's a pleasure. Thanks awesome. for having me on. Yeah. So you've interviewed Hamas terrorists. You've gone on immigrant caravans. You've been all over the place. How would you say that Chaz Chop stacks up against some of that stuff? Uh, you know, it was uh, it was on the list for uncomfortable places for me. You know, when we first entered, it took about uh, three minutes for people to threaten us uh, with bodily harm. And then a few minutes after that, two highly armed people came up to us in full, you know, military kit and started interrogating me and started interrogating my um my uh my my crew so look we didn't feel like we were really in any in any harm i think people just you know talking crap but um it was uh it was interesting i'll put it that way <laughs> did the uh guards look like the antifa types did they look like the john brown gun club types did they look like college kids who were just given an ar-15 did you happen to notice no so there's actually a, like a left-wing gun culture that exists. Um, there are these kind of like um, uh, these groups, I guess similar to the ones on the right. And I think they're using those guys as uh, as their security, since obviously there's no no police department. Gotcha. What would you say to the people who keep claiming that this is just a peaceful protest? It's a block party. It's the summer of love. It's a street fair. Did you get any sense of that while you were there at all, or was it mostly just kind of intimidating and threatening? No, there is a veneer of a street fair. There is a veneer of a festival. In fact, what's really interesting is is the conflict between a lot of the white people who white wokes who are attending and, and the black people, the Black Lives Matter guys who are there. Because the white folks looked at it as a carnival and there are people dressed up as clowns and, and you know, blowing bubbles and there's all this free food and free ice cream. Um, by the way, they pointed out to me that when every time they said, Hey, there's free Ben and Jerry's, they would say but they support Israel. That's a whole different issue on this, this, the anti-Semitism that's undergirding this whole thing. But um, when you ask the black people there, and they were really upset with the atmosphere. They did not like this carnival-type atmosphere. They thought it was detracting from what is their message, which is an important message, whether it be wrong or right. It's a serious message, whether they're wrong or right. And I think they're mostly wrong about it. Um, so there was a really interesting tension between the two sides on this thing. Did you get a sense that there was anybody in charge or it was just whichever group, group you spoke to thought they were speaking for everybody? 
Repeat that one more time. Did you get a sense that anybody is actually in charge there or each group, each person you spoke to thinks they're running the show? No, there, I did get a sense there were some people in charge. I spoke to one of the women, um, uh, Jane Grayson, who, who's one of the people in charge there. Uh, no, there, there, there is some structure to it. There's no question about it. It's, it's the Black, Seattle Black Lives Matter folks who kind of run the show there. Okay. And I watched the entire video. I'll put it up so that way everybody can see it. But what was the most shocking thing to you about the interviews you did down there? Let me count the ways. <laughs> um, honestly, nothing was shocking because I've, I've, I've been through this before and I've spoken to these people before and I was in Milwaukee when the city was burning down. I was in the New York protests. Um, it was more of the same, maybe a little more extreme. Uh, the one thing that is very, very clear, I've said this before, I'll say it as many times, you know, until it's, people can finally understand what I'm saying. The, the protesters, who everybody wants to say they're peaceful, they're great, they're wonderful, the protesters almost to a man, and I've spoken to over a hundred protesters at this point, asking a very similar set of questions. And um, the main question I ask them, what I'm most interested in hearing from them is, do you support the violence? And almost every single person has justified the violence, the, the, the looting, the rioting, the arson. They do believe that it is justified. So that's one thing I think it's important to note. And the second thing is there is a significant amount of anti-Semitism that is imbued in the Black Lives Matter movement. And like I said, I, I was attacked for being a Jew verbally while I was there. They kept pointing out that Ben and Jerry supports Israel. Black Lives Matter ostensibly is there to protect black lives, right? To say, hey, we're being put upon, we're being brutalized by the white folks, the police. Um, obviously, I don't think that that's a, a real, I mean, obviously it happens, but I don't think that it is what they're making it out to be, obviously, and I've done videos kind of pushing back on those statistics and the data shows that it's not true, but they're there to support black lives, ostensibly. And the reason why I say ostensibly is because when you look at their manifesto, they, they talk a lot about black lives, all things you expect them to say, but they devote time to only one issue outside of Black Lives Matter, and that is pushing the canard, the libel, that Israel is committing genocide. They, they found it so important. They find Israel to be such an obnoxious state to them, to their, to their way of being. They, they, they had to find time to point out the Jewish state to push this lie that Israel's committing genocide. So I think there's a real, all, all our Jewish friends who are supporting Black Lives Matter, and I support Black Lives, everybody supports Black, not organism is deeply problematic when it comes to, to anti-Semitism. And our Jewish friends who stand with them, and I support them standing with them, I've got no problem with it, need to really, they need to come to the realization that there are some significant issues there. One more time. Yeah, so um, I've been having pushback of my Jewish friends when I bring up this kind of stuff about the anti-Semitism, the Black Lives Movement, the relationship with some organizations with the more extreme members. And they say, well, it's more about the movement. You can disregard that kind of stuff. Have you been having that same kind of experience when you bring this up with other Jews? Absolutely. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, if they found the time uh, to, to attack Jews in Israel, I, 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 there's no way I can ignore it. There's just no way. So, um, yeah, no, it's an issue that I've had with a number of, uh, of Jews, by the way, not only in my, in my friend circle, but Jews who I've come across during these protests. 
who I, you know, we had, and they, by the way, they are for the most part cognizant of it. But since, listen, let's be honest, for Jews, Israel does not rank, you know, consistently does not rank one of the top 10 issues. They just choose to ignore it, unfortunately. I think it's kind of sad, you know, for the first time in my life, my wife and I are seriously discussing whether or not in Seattle, because we're worried if they defund the police department to protect us. Last night, they expelled the Seattle Police Department from the MLK Labor Council, so they jumped their union from part of the other labor union affiliates. And I think it's a very, very scary time to be a Jew in America with all this going on. Has that been your experience in other cities when you've been going through these protests as well? Yes. This, this, is, some, this is a symptom that I, have, that I have seen through all the cities I've gone to where they're having these protests. This is, this is not an insignificant issue. This is not a small issue. It's not a minor issue. It's something that we, that we need to face up to. And more importantly, they need to face up to it. Do you think that any of that video that you have of the anti-Semitism stuff is going to make its way into one supercut about the anti-Semitism inside the Black Lives Movement? Is that something you're thinking about doing? I refuse to answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. Ami Horowitz, thank you so much for being with us. What's the best place for people to view your video and follow you on social media? Uh, you know, the, the YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole, the, the, the whole lot. They okay. can find me out there. I'm there. Awesome. Ami, look forward to your next project. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Ari. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I'm joined by Jason Matera. Emmy-nominated journalist, New York Times best-selling author, and we're very happy to have you with us today. Thanks for being here, Jason. Yeah, you got it, Ari. My pleasure. Awesome. So something, you're probably more of an expert in this than I am. So they're talking about different things we can do in the country, possibly to do police reform. Now, Seattle is one of the most progressive police departments. Is there anything they're not doing that they should be doing? <laughs> At this point, I just don't know where you say, I want to be a practical guy. And I want to say, okay, we want to address these concerns. But what are we not doing that we could be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to have reasonable dialogues, as you know, with, with the, the Marxists and Antifa fascists running around because their starting premise is to dismantle and defund and abolish and yeah, reasonable people like you and I, we can probably come up with a list of reforms that uh, we would like to see debated and implemented. And that's why you have a, you know, on a larger level, a legislature for the state, the, the feds, um, and the city council for these uh, ideas to be debated. And you have a variety of experts. But uh, when you're driven by ideology, like these people are, it's not about what may be reasonable. It's not about weighing uh, costs and benefits and It's about uh, thing their their Marxist vision of society, their utopia, as we're seeing right now with uh, Chaz. So, you know, I think reasonable people can look at uh, police reforms like maybe no-knock raids or, you know, qualified immunity is, is, is a buzz these days. Maybe looking at that, defanging public sector unions, uh, which would include police unions as well, that have a tendency to, to protect bad cops, just like teachers' unions have a tendency to protect bad teachers. Uh, these are all reasonable discussions that people can have, but but I don't know how you like. How do you go have a reasonable discussion with uh, what's the ward lord's name in, in Chaz? Uh, oh, in Ross Simone. Yeah. Ross Simone. Yeah. Hey, Ross Simone. Uh, yeah, come over here with your AK forty seven, and you're just like handing out the pistols. Hey, are you eighteen? Like he's breaking. 
Washington State law, like on camera, on YouTube, nothing is going to be done. But I don't think you can have a reasonable di di dialogue with these people. Um, my senses are, and you've been in the area longer than I have, but my sense is uh, sometimes you have to experience the pain for yourself. Uh, you have to see what progressive policies lead to. I grew up in New York City. I remember as a kid not being able to go to the local park because uh, much like Seattle parks today, uh, infiltrated with, with homeless people and drugs and prostitutes and gangs and, and, and people finally got fed up and they started, that's when you had Rudy Giuliani elected and nationally you had the crime bill of 1994. But people forget what... Uh, why there was a crime, you know, uh, just, uh, it was a uh, justice reform and criminal justice reform back in the early 90s was actually taking a tough stance on crime. Not today. It's like, oh, no, let's pull back. And, you know, what's unfortunate is, uh, and I grew up in a Latino area in New York City, is the people most harmed by when the cops pull back uh, are the people that are live in these vulnerable communities, the people who generally live in minority communities, the people who are generally victimized by crime. And uh, I, I honestly, at the end of the day, you get what you vote for, right? So we can turn on the TV every single night and it's another episode in, I told you so, you get what you vote for. <laughs> that seems to be exactly what's going on. We thought that with the city council elections that maybe people were waking up because of the Seattle head tax where they want to tax $500 an employee at Amazon. Sorry, back then they compromised at 250 And we thought they were waking up after that. We thought that they were going to be waking up to Governor Inslee. Now you see his approval rating is at 56%, even though he doesn't know what's going on in his own state. How far do you think we have to fall before people wake up to what's going on? I mean, New York got pretty bad. I lived there around the same time you did. I even went to school in Washington Heights. And I know exactly what you're talking about, where now because police weren't in a certain area, us at our college there were more at risk and we had to rely on these security guard rent-a-cops who were terrible. Um, I just, you know, it was, it was a nightmare. How bad do you think this is going to get? And do you see an end in sight? I don't personally. I mean, look at Jenny, what Jenny Durkin says. I mean, she's, she's, she's treating Chaz as though it is autonomous and it's, she's given it her, her blessing. Uh, you know, my wife showed me a story this morning I don't know what outlet, but there were, it was a, an interview of an Uber driver who was picking somebody up at Chaz and had a gun pointed to his head. Uh, I, I think this ends, you know, either they run out of their vegan pizza, they have no more supplies and they have to, right, you have to, they have to go. Or, uh, you know, uh, Roz Simone, whatever, whatever his name is, hands out an AK to the wrong person. And there's going to be some, unfortunately, some, some bloody, deadly violence that occurs and the police are forced to, to step in. But the fact that you have, uh, and you know this, uh, you know, a, a, uh, that car shop that called the, the police 19 times, 19 times because they had a suspect who was trying to loot and start a fire there and the cops never showed up. So um, I think you have to give, almost you have to give people what they want. You want to abolish the police? Fine. Let's see. Let's see. You want to defang the police? Fine. Now you have to live with the consequences. And while I do feel bad for the people who are reasonable, like you or me, uh, we're also the people that are probably armed and feel fine. You know, um, if anyone tried to come and and cause the same type of trouble at our, our place. But uh, I don't know. I think, you know, L L.A. has has had a worse problem, homeless problem than we do. San Francisco, worse problem than we do. I mean, they have actual maps where you can avoid, you know, crap, literal human feces on the street. And you, and you wonder, like, 
why do you keep electing the same progressive people? And, and they do, and the, and the issue is it gets, we see this cycle is it gets so bad that people end up just moving. They're like, oh, I can't take this anymore. So then they move and then they take their bad voting patterns with them and they elect the same people who are gonna cause the same problems just in a different area. Uh, so, you know, I don't want, I'm, I know I sound very uh, pessimistic, but uh, unless, unless I think conservatives or sane individuals start to go on the offensive and, and really push back against the prevailing narratives and even use, um, you know, some of the same, some of the same tricks and to point out the hypocrisy. Uh, for instance, I don't know why conservatives can't carve out their own autonomous zone or why we can't, you know, the city council wants to allow people to just post up a tent anywhere, public or private property and the navigation team can't do anything about it. Fine, why don't we just start getting homeless people? We can, you know, offer them some drugs, offer them some money, and we're going to camp right on your lawn, right, uh, Shama Sawan? We're going to camp right on your lawn, Lisa Herbert. We're going to camp right on you. All these people. Let's show the hypocrisy because the, they, they create pockets of misery uh, for everybody else, but yet they're indemnified from it. So uh, either conservatives wise up and Republicans in the state wise up, uh, or we're going to continue to see a descent, um, I think, into inevitable chaos. What I was surprised by was when a an RV mysteriously appeared in front of Lisa Herbold's house. Not that I yes. had, <laughs> she blamed you, but you know, because I'm the guy who towed it on Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, and that whole thing happened. Nobody was calling out the hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Nobody was saying, "Oh, you just say there are you are unsheltered neighbors." Instead, they're like Ari Hoffman towed an RV to somebody's yeah. house. What's bothering me now, which I see is similar, is the narrative that is coming out from the Seattle Times the narrative that is coming out from some of the media. One reporter who actually got attacked by these people and was kicked out of the zone is now saying, well, it's not as violent as you think it is. So this changing narrative of, oh, it's not that violent. You know, there, it's just a, it's a block party. It's a street fair, it's a festival. The media seems to be pushing that narrative for the politicians. You're right, they carry water. This is uh, nothing new. The mainstream media at a national level carries water for, for Democrats and and, and progressives, I mean, it's always, I mean, it's like they, they want people to suspend what they're seeing with their eyes, right? You can turn on the TV, you can turn on YouTube, and you can see this. these are not peaceful protesters. Yeah, there are peaceful protesters within them, but the burning, the looting, the murder that's going on, um, it's not peaceful, but they carry water anyway. And it's, um, it's because, as you know, most journalists today are ideologues, right? They're not fair, they're not balanced. Everyone has their pre-existing worldview. You and I have a worldview. And through that lens, we analyze current events. And we're honest about it. You know, I'm, on, I'm a journalist, but I'm honest that I have conservative tendencies, uh, you know, mostly across the board. Um, but the, the, left, the left is not honest. They, they pretend to be objective journalists, and yet how they frame issues, um, it either smears those on the right or smears those uh, um, who don't fit that prevailing narrative and they'll have allegiance with those uh, on the left. So you're right, Seattle Times reporter can get like, you know, can get almost beat up and, and mugged within jazz, right? You know, they have Uber drivers that have guns to their uh, head. Um, you can have uh, Ross Simone handing out AK-47s and uh, assault rifles to, and, and, and violating state law right in front of us. You can have the looting and it's, oh no, it's largely peaceful. Larger and, and the police, the police chief, uh, Carmen Best says, ah, oh, you know, well, uh, we're, it's, no, it's not a police-free zone, but yet you have citizens saying, we've called the police nearly 20 times and the police don't show up. 
Um, but I, but until we are able to, and, and this is why it's such a multi-step process, unfortunately, is because you have to have a, an alternative media narrative. I mean, conservatives have dominated on talk radio and, and there are some great talk radio hosts in the Seattle area, but all right, there needs to be um, online alternatives as well, where you have really good journalism that, uh, that pushes back against the narrative rather than everyone basically asking the same question. And there, there are good journalists here and there, but unfortunately, it's filtered as a whole into leftist orthodoxy. And that's why that's why you don't have the really good questions to politicians. You don't have the hypocrisy exposed. I mean, the fact that Lisa Herbert was blaming you and trying to get the RV, uh, you know, uh, trying to alert authorities to an RV in front of her house and she was, you know, she was complaining about it, uh, should have been like headlines for days because this is what she wants in other people's backyards, right? This is what she wants, as you were pointing out, like near cemeteries, right? The sacred ground for so many people. And she, you know, was like, well, I, I don't want it. I, they can have it for themselves, but it can't be for me. It's people, when you come from that leftist, uh, you know, narrative, you're, you're blind to that, um, that hypocrisy. And listen, conservatives can be all equally have those same blind spots, right? We don't want to maybe highlight something that undercuts a core belief, but at least we're honest about it. I don't think the left is honest about where they're coming from. And that, uh, that can be uh, frustrating. And that can also be, um, that could also lead to pro just propaganda. So when people turn on the news or read the Seattle Times and other papers, it ends up being propaganda and not a, a um, reasonable bit of information where people can make their own informed decisions. I think what illustrates that point is that any single Democrat or socialist or Marxist I've invited on this program has chosen not to come. Yeah. Meanwhile, anybody who's center, center left, center right, right conservative has happily agreed to come on the program. And I think they just know that this is their safe space and that I'm actually going to ask them the questions they don't want to answer. Well, switching gears for a minute, tell me about what you're working on right now. You got your show you're working on. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, I, I was about to start filming for a documentary uh, in, in February and the Wuhan happened. So that uh, shut down all production in, in LA and, and their lockdown is, uh, is happening, I think through, through July. So who knows when that comes on, on board. So that it's a, it's, it's, a, it is a really fun project and it's a, I, I do a lot of, aside from politics, I'm involved in true crime uh, genre as well, doing some, some uh, really interesting stories. And this one uh, chronicles a, a, uh, a buddy of mine it was about my best friend growing up uh, middle school, high school, and he's now serving a life sentence in, in New York for murder. For murder rap, I don't think he, he committed. And uh, it's uh, big headlines in, in all the New York tabloids for probably the biggest murder case in the last 25 years. And uh, I've covered this um, extensively for, uh, for a TV show I was a part of called Crime Watch Daily. Uh, and now hopefully for this documentary moving forward, trying to get some interest and uh yeah I, I think and it almost brings it back to to the subject of criminal justice reform like there's there's reasonable steps that people could uh take and that there would be bipartisan approval and I, I see like the criminal justice system is not perfect is it the best in the world I think so hands down best in the world but there are reforms that can take place and and prosecute prosecutors uh, uh did, routinely sometimes deny exculpatory evidence or evidence that's not in their favor to defense teams and they try to bury it and hide it and i've seen this firsthand uh cops i don't think 
you know, the, the corruption we see with, with, with police forces, police forces uh, and sheriff's deputies many times has nothing to do with race. It's just about power. When you give people power, it can corrupt them, and especially in many of these small towns. So I've seen this firsthand, and there are reasonable steps we can take and shine lights on them. Um, unfortunately, though, it gets drowned out in all the idiocy, like defund the police and abolish the police and uh, you know, whatever the, the latest mantra and demands from like, you know, the, the Chaz folks are, which, uh, you know, which it, it stops people like you and I and others who may not even agree with us from having these types of dialogues to come to reform. So yeah, I'm working, hopefully, uh, once uh, we can get the, the, the Wuhan behind us, I'll be working on a, a really uh, personal documentary for me and, and hope to have a good impact with it. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for being with us. What's a website people can check out your show and people can find out more about you? Uh, website simple, just jasonmatera.com and check me out on Twitter, Jason Matera, Instagram. Uh, and yeah, you know, happy to connect with people. Awesome, fantastic. Well, Jason Matera, thanks so much for being with us. Best of luck on your project. Best of luck showcasing your buddy. Hope you're able to get the justice he deserves. And thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, bro, appreciate it. Thanks. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. Just to wrap up this week's episode, I'm tired. I'm tired because every news outlet wants to talk about the chop, the chaz, whatever you want to call it. And in the meantime, we're forgetting things that are happening in Seattle. We're not keeping our eye on the ball of the homeless problem or any other problems that are going on. Everybody's focused on this instead. They're not talking about elections. They're not talking about COVID anymore. They're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. Um, here's another interview I did on Fox News this week, just talking about what's going on inside the chop. Now, after that, what you have to realize is people, other cities did not let this happen. Portland had a chop set up and they took it down almost right away. Now, it may have been because it was outside the mayor's house, <laughs> but uh, Detroit didn't allow it. A bunch of other cities, California cities, they didn't allow it. They shut this down. Why is Seattle the only one dumb enough to allow this? You guys keeping up the pressure and keeping interest in this story, showcasing how terrible what is going on there actually is, is helping to at least warn other cities. Seattle may be beyond saving. It may be. Somebody made a video, I think it was Turning Point USA made a video about, <coughs> excuse me, the benefits of living in Chad, in Chaz uh, and CHOP, about how wonderful it is to live under communist rule and socialist rule and what that does. It's really great. I'll link it to my social media. You should check it out. The humor coming out of this is priceless, but we have to remember that on the other side, there are people suffering. There are the homeless people suffering inside this encampment and is becoming a growing homeless encampment every single day. The businesses and residents who are living there are suffering and our city leaders are enabling it. Our elected officials are enabling it. They're providing funds for it. They're providing sanitation for it. And this isn't going to be over anytime soon. They're giving over streets to these people. So it's going to be the next time they want something, they could just occupy the street in front of my synagogue or my house because they want it. And the city will just give it to them. This could happen in your city. There's an article written for the New York Post today talking about how New York has been following Seattle's bad policies when it comes to drug treatment, when it comes to crime enforcement, when it comes to jail time, when it comes to bail reform, and how New York could be next for any of this kind of stuff. And I've been screaming about this for close to two years now. I've been yelling about this, how this could be going everywhere else. You look at what New York looked like in the 90s, how it was turned around under Giuliani and how Bloomberg continued that and how it was flushed down the toilet by de Blasio. This is all fixable. We know how to fix this stuff. It's having the political will to actually do it. It's you pushing back on your leaders to actually do it. Don't say I didn't warn you. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Canary in a Coal Mine.